Praise God. No coincidence, but today's sermon title is The Storm. And as many of you know, you drove through the rain to get to church this morning. Um, did you know that our brains, right, our, our human brain has a chemical reaction, right, to fear? There's something that chemically happens when we get scared. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but I believe it's, it's, it's pronounced the amygdala is part of the brain that activates when we start to feel a sense of threat come our way, right? What happens is it prompts the body. It sends like a message to the rest of the body saying, there's danger, there's, there's something coming, and then the body will begin to release stress hormones, and it affects your nervous system, and all sorts of things begin to happen. Some of you will know that things happen when you get scared. Some people start to shake. Some people get sweaty. Some people get bold, right? The heart starts to pump. The adrenaline starts kicking in. There are reactions in our body when we are confronted with fear and a threat. The hippocampus is closely related to the amygdala and helps our brains interpret the threat. What it does, it's like, uh, for example, it's like seeing a lion, right? And if you see a lion, most likely your body will react in fear and be like, oh my gosh, there's a lion, I should get away from here. I mean, unless some of you react differently, that's how most people would react, right? However, um, the response is tempered. And so what it does is it, it tempers, it tones it down by the, like, for example, our response to seeing a lion is our, our fear, our response to it is, is toned down because of a glass wall that keeps the lion separate from us. When you go to the zoo and you see the lion, you don't get scared. You don't react uh, in a fearful manner. You don't, you don't start to sweat and worry and see a places where you can run because of the glass wall that divides you and the lion. That tempering, right, that tempering is, is what our faith in God is supposed to do. Many people don't realize it. We go through fearful moments all the time. However, our faith in God should be doing in our lives what that glass wall does at the zoo. And what it does is through the fearful events or circumstances, it, uh, it causes us to respond in a way that we know that the Lord is in control. This morning, I want to read Matthew 8, 24, 26 through 26. And it says this in Matthew 8, 24 to 26. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And so Jesus is in the boat, and he's sleeping, and his disciples, they're on a lake. And it's crazy that it's a lake because you don't really think of lakes so dangerous, right? Um, but this was a, a bad storm. Bad storm, and Jesus is sleeping, and some other versions, they say he had his head on a cushion. If you look at other versions, right? His head was on a cushion. He was comfortable, and he was rocked out. Like he was out. And here's this storm, and the disciples are, are, are scared. They're full of fear. And they're like, yo, aren't you scared? Aren't you going to do something? Aren't you going to save us? And he wakes up, and he's like, yo, you guys a little faith. And he's like, all right, calm down. And the storm goes away, and everything gets calm. And I can imagine him, like, just looking at him on, on, the, way back to, on the way back to his bed. He probably, he's probably like, Psh. Y'all woke me up for this? You guys have heard this before, right? And, and, we, and we talk about this verse 
and we look at the storm being a representation of the trials and the tribulations and the things that come our way that cause us to fear, that cause us to worry, or that cause us to, 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 to look for Jesus and say, Lord, where are you during these circumstances? Yet we know that through this passage, we see that they had little faith, so then we're encouraged to have bigger faith, right? We're encouraged that we should have faith through moments like that, that we can call on Jesus, that we can understand that Jesus is the one that calms the storm. Now, that's not the verse we're going to talk about today, but I figured that's the verse I start off with because that's what half of y'all thought about when I said the storm. We're going to take a look at James in the book of James. As a matter of fact, I haven't completely decided for sure, for sure, but I think we're going to be in the book of James for, for a while, for a while, for, for, various, for several Sundays to come. We're going to be in the book of James. And um, James... Uh, when I was reading about James as a person, uh, kind of reminded me about Eddie, because one of the things that people said about Eddie was that he was straight to the point. He said it how it was, right? And that's what we learned from James, too. He's going he's gonna to say it how it is. He's going he's gonna to say it how it is, and uh, he gets right to the point. Let's look at James chapter 1, and we're going to be taking a look at verses 2 through 8 throughout the rest of the message, but we're going to read it all right now. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 8. And James says uh, this, says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And if it be given to him, let him ask in faith without, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." So what we're going to do this morning is we're going, to, we're going to go and take a look at several verses at a time, and let's talk about it. Let's talk about this, because we talk about having faith in the storm. We talk about this, and, and sometimes we just, we don't really understand it. Well, what, what does it mean? Or how do I get there? Or what is everything that's involved with that? And so we're going to talk about that today, you know? Um, I want to point out something we see in verse 2, right? In the very first thing he says, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What he's saying is rejoice when bad things happen to you. How many of us want to do that? Nobody's hand went up for those that are watching online. Nobody put their hand up. None of us want to rejoice when trials come our way. None of us want to rejoice when we're going through a hard time. But the word says to rejoice. It says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, I want to point out that there's a difference between falling into difficulties and walking into difficulties, right? There's a difference there. You see, there's no doubt in our mind that many of our difficulties are self-inflicted. Many of our storms are brought upon the decisions and the choices that we make. Consequences of our actions. But then, but then there are those that sneak up on us, right? You're going through life, minding your own business, leaving everybody alone, and all of a sudden, something happens to you. Something pops up in your life, your job, your family, within your marriage. You know, um, I want to read an example of that in 1 Samuel 18, 10 to 11. Let's take a look at David here. Let's see, what, let's see what's going on. He says, the very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp, as he did each day. 
But Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. So what's happening here? (laughs) Before David was king, it was King Saul. And uh, King Saul uh, wasn't taking a liking to David at this moment. In fact, if you read the verses before, he was kind of upset. He was a little jealous. David had been fighting for King Saul, for, for Israel, and, and he had become victorious. And the people were chanting, you know, uh, they, were, they, were, they were singing about him. They were celebrating him. And King Saul got a little jealous. Uh, David wasn't doing anything wrong. As a matter of fact, he was serving the king. He was serving the king on a daily basis by putting his life on the line for his nation. He wasn't doing anything wrong, and yet, in him living his life, minding his own business, King Saul tries to kill him, and all of a sudden, now David finds himself in this situation, in the midst of danger. He fell into that trial. He fell into that situation. But you know what? There's also examples of David walking into some things. And I want to read that as well. It's found in uh, 2 Samuel, because now he's king. 2 Samuel, chapter 11, verse 2 four, uh, to 4a, to the beginning to the first part of 4. It says, late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Man, this is like some soap opera stuff, right? David's army is at war, you know, and he's in the palace. There's a whole other teaching on that as well. We won't talk about that right now. But the nation is at war, and he's in the palace. And at this moment, he wakes up from a nap. He decides to take a walk on a roof. Who likes to walk on roofs, right? Wake up one day. He's like, I'm going to take a walk on the roof today. He gets up, and he walks on the roof of his palace, and he can see the kingdom. He can see down because, you know, you know, palaces are usually higher up than everything else. So he's looking down, and as he's looking at the kingdom, he spots this lady, this, this woman, who's bathing, I guess, on her balcony or an open terrace or something. He can, he can see her. And at this moment, at this moment, he, he has a choice to look away, but instead he keeps looking, and then the look becomes a desire and then he inquires about her. Hey, who's this girl? So, he, so his messages come back like, oh, okay, so that's Iliam's daughter. And by the way, her husband's the Hittite. You know, he, he fights for you. He's one of your, he's one of your uh, warriors. He's, one of, you know, he's, he's out there right now in combat. At that moment, you know, you would suppose, like, oh, I can't do that. You know, she's taken. Not only is she taken, her husband's fighting for me. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, get her because I want her. And he has her brought to him, and he sleeps with her. Now, if the novella ended there, it would have been great, but it doesn't because now she's pregnant, right? This could be a movie, right? Now she's pregnant, and all of a sudden, he's got to figure something out because he knows he got himself into this mess. And so he calls her husband in from combat. He says, you know what? I want to give you some time at home with your wife. You know, relax. You've been fighting hard. You know, just hang out with your wife. And what he hopes is that they, you know, they spend some intimate moments together. And then when he goes back to combat, and so now when she's pregnant, oh, it was her husband that did it, not me. Look at the plan he, dev- he puts together. But Uriah comes. And when he comes, he says, you know what? My men are fighting in battle. And if they can't be with their wives right now, then I won't be with mine. And the Bible says that he slept not in his home, but in the steps in the doorway of the palace. So David's plan isn't working. And now he has to figure out plan B. And plan B is he calls 
He calls his general and he says, listen, I need you to take Uriah and place him where the battle is the worst, the fiercest. And when you put him in the front lines, I want you then, while he's up there, retreat so that he is killed. Um, And that's exactly what happened. And so now, David is not just an adulterer. He is a murderer. And um, because of these things, judgment, the God's judgment comes upon him. And uh, life takes a sudden turn for the worse at this moment. David didn't fall into that trial. He brought it upon himself. He brought it upon himself. You know, um, I think uh, I was, I was you know, so many people are saying so much stuff online. Sometimes, like, I get sick of just looking at the internet, right? Because it seems like even, the, even, the, even some of the smartest pastors and preachers, and, we, you know, we're all capable of making mistakes. We all make mistakes. But at least my mistakes are going to be here, and I'm not, like, trying to lead millions and make mistakes, I guess. But one of the things that uh, an online minister pretty much said, he said something like, if you're... Uh, if you're going through some trials, if you're going through some situations and, you're, and, and your church or people keep telling you that you brought it upon yourself, then find yourself another pastor and get deliverance and get delivered. And, and, and I understand probably like why he said that, because many times we fall into certain things. We fall into things that were no reason of ours. Some, many times the enemy will, will attack our lives, will attack our marriages, will attack our homes. And all we were doing is trying to serve him. All we were doing is trying to get closer to God. All we were doing is trying to live a, a good and, and, and nice and quiet life according to the word and the enemy attacks. And in those moments, you know what? Yes, you know, we want, we're here for you. We pray for you. We, 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 you know, we, we rebuke whatever needs to be rebuked and we're going to walk with you. But I'm sorry if people don't like being told that it's your fault. Because that's, you know, it's still my job to tell you that at times too. It's my job to say, well, you know what? I don't know all the details of your life. But I do know that you just recently made a decision to do this. I also know that you wanted this and that you chose this and that you decided this and all the results of these decisions and these choices have brought you to where you're at right now. If David would have went before the prophet says, yo, my life's a mess, why did God do this? Well, guess what? You cheated, you, 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 you took another man's wife and you killed someone. So guess what? This is what you brought upon yourself. The message is not about this, but it's important that you guys understand this. There is a time that you need to be mature enough to take responsibility for the wrong decisions that you've made, because then we can grow and move past it, and we can get better, and we can heal, and we can grow, and then we can teach others to avoid those if we can, right? When you fall into various trials of life, James says, you know, he wants us to rejoice, rejoice. So, so not when you get yourself into stuff, but again, when things just happen to fall your way, in those moments, instead of saying, why, God? We say, thank you, Jesus. Everybody's like, what? <laughs> thank you, Jesus, for this flat tire. Thank you, Jesus. I have a flat tire in my other car right now. I woke up this morning and I woke in the driver. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All weekend we've been studying this and and I was like, I tried to fill it up. I was like, maybe I must have, I don't know, maybe it's just not that bad. So I refilled it in the driveway and I woke up this morning. I looked, I was like, thank you, Jesus. I just wrote this last night. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And believe it or not, it is probably one of the most difficult things to do. 
Because our human nature, our human, our, 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 our natural being doesn't want to celebrate when things go wrong in our lives. It takes a lot of faith to be able to rejoice in those times. You know when it doesn't take a lot of faith? To rejoice when everything is going well. Because, I mean, we all can do that. Like, woo, thank you, Jesus. I just got a raise at work. Thank you, Jesus. I just got a new car. Thank you. I mean, it's, we, I mean hey, still do it. You got to thank him and everything. I'm just saying it's a lot easier to do it in those moments than in the trials and the storms of life. It's easy to praise and worship him when things are going well, when you're feeling well, when you're blessed, when all the good things of life seem to be going your way. But when all those things seem reversed in your life and you're you're sitting there like, why me? First this, then this, then that. My sister, my little sister has been having a rough time. Um... She, uh, she has even said that, to, said that the other day, like, when it's not one thing, it's the other, and then the other. There's this new thing. They're stealing the catalyst converters, right? Catalyst, was it catalyst converters? And so, um, so, so she, she spent the night at my parents' house, which, you know, supposedly is a better neighborhood than where she lives, and it didn't matter. Um, they stole the catalyst converter right in front of the driveway of my parents' house. And so my dad was like, can you rewind the tape? I want to see, you know, it was probably happening in the middle of the night. And so I'm looking through the whole night, and I don't see it, I don't see it, I don't see it. And, I, and like, these guys didn't come at night. They came in the morning, bright as day. It was like 6.30 in the morning. The sun's already up. People are leaving, right? Carlos, I, I have the camera of brother Carlos, like, leaving in the morning. Like, the, like Carlos drives up in the driveway. He's, he's my dad's neighbor, right? I see Carlos, is, like, leaving, leaving the house, and as soon as he pulls out, these guys are already parked right there in the corner. They just come over and take it. Right in broad daylight. So she's like, one, if it's not one thing, it's the other. And it's another. And, and we go through things like that where, why me? And that probably happens to a couple other people because, I mean, it's, it, that's the thing these days right now. Why me? When times get tough and everything seems to go wrong, it takes great faith to see beyond the circumstances and to trust God enough to rejoice. Let's take a look at verse 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4, and to remind you, it said this. It says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God wants to produce patience in our lives. But I, but I, I never really understood this, right? Because the way I looked at it, right, when we ask, why do we go through tests? People respond, right, so that we can develop patience. And then if we ask people, like, well, why do we, why do we need patience? The response is so that you can go through the tests. <laughs> Come on, God. I mean, I mean, why don't you just skip the tests and we don't need patience and we all be good? But if we study those scriptures deeper, we realize that the word translated here as patience doesn't really mean what a lot of us think naturally. When we talk about a person being impatient, we think of somebody that's always on the go, they can't wait. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. That even a trip to McDonald's is still not fast enough. Like someone who's impatient, like, oh, when's, you know, come on, come on, come on, always on the go, always on the go. I'm guilty of being like that sometimes. My wife is watching at home. Please, guys, pray for her. She's not feeling well at all. Um, but I know she's watching at home going, oh, that is definitely you. Sometimes I'm like, come on, we got to do this. She's like, wait a minute. Let's slow down. What is the rush? I'm like, no, because I, I, my head works differently. My head, it's like I, I have an embedded, like, uh, time slots. And, and say, like, I, once I put it in there, like, it has to be at that time, right? And so if I know I'm going to meet at 1, and then that's going to be 20 minutes, and then I, I have 20 minutes, and I have 5 minutes to get to here, so I'll do this at 1.30, at and then this and that. And so that's how I schedule my brain. But my wife doesn't do that. My wife's like, you know, hey, 
she schedules in order of things, right? So we're going to do this first, and then we're going to do this next. And, and I'm like, okay with that, but you see, those, already, those things have time slots in my brain. So if the first thing takes longer than it should, then I'm like, okay, we got to go to the next thing. Come on, come on, come on. It's like, there's, there's no time here. We're going to get it all done. I'm like, oh, I know, but we're only supposed to be here for 30 minutes. And now it's been 45. Pray for me, church. Pray for me. Pray for my wife. She needs, she, she deals with this. Um, when we think of someone impatient, we think of someone that's always in a hurry and can't wait. So naturally, someone that is patient, we would think is someone that can wait, someone who's not in a hurry. Now, um, that's not really the case in, this, in the scripture here. When you look at the Greek word used for patience in the scripture, it was, uh, all right, here we go, um, hippopone, a hippomone, hippomone. Moni. It actually translates to endurance and perseverance. So when we read in the scripture in this passage, when we read patience, it's really referring to perseverance and endurance. Right? And so I guess if we were to read it really quick, just that part, knowing that the testing of faith produces perseverance and endurance, but let the perseverance have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so if we look at this, God is in the business of building tough people. He wants people who will endure. Back in the 1800s, there was an explorer named, man, let me speed it up. Explorer named John uh, Stewart, the most famous explorer of Australia of all time. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to find a way to, um, to get from the um, Adelaide in the south to the Indian Ocean in the north. So he kept saying and kept trying and kept trying until he did it. And it took him about six attempts. Now, for an explorer, six times, it's not like six weeks. It's not like six days. You know, it's not six weeks. It's, it, was, it was years that he tried in doing this. And in the process, he contracted scurvy, which is a disease. He lost sight in his right eye. He was attacked by the Aborigines, which was like a native uh, Indian tribe of Australia. And um, he was left with rags, like he had nothing by the end. But he did it. He did it. All this just for an earthly mission. He knew what it meant to endure. How many of us, we, first of all, we wouldn't even do that for an earthly mission, let alone for a godly mission, would we? He knew what it meant to endure. This is the quality that God wants to develop in us. He doesn't want weak and wimpy Christians. Like, God doesn't want that. Oh, well, I was going to do it, but oh. I don't, the trials, the trials. No, he wants us to persevere. He wants us to endure. And it's, gonna, it's, it's, it's part of our walk with God. This is the reason why we're in this race, and it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. I used to run, guys, back in the day. I used to be a cross-country, long-distance runner. And so when I did that, it wasn't like you can't just take off. Even though there were moments, depending on how long the run, that my strategy was to take off just a little bit to give me some space. And then I would slow it down just to keep a good pace until the last much, and then I would speed it up again. That was my, my system, right? But the thing is, you have to pace yourself if you're going to be successful, if you're going to persevere and endure the race. Many of you guys have tried running, know that if you take off on a sprint for a marathon, you are dropping out fast. You will definitely not lasting the entire run. And the thing is that uh, we've seen that. We've seen many people drop out of the race over the years. Perhaps there are some of us sitting here today or watching online that we started the race, and although we're sitting here or watching, we've dropped out of the race. Matthew 24, 13, it says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The finish line, there is a finish line. And it's like, I imagine that finish line, like, you know, being made of gold. This is, this is my imagination, guys. Work with me, right? The finish line is made of gold, and you're running, 
And the second you break that finish line, it's eternity in the presence of God. Eternity in the presence of God. How many of you want to run the race, pace yourselves, and endure and persevere to the end? Verse 5. Verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask who give, Adam asked God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Why do we need wisdom? What's going on here? Well, first we're talking about the trials of life. Now he's talking about wisdom. Um, what's wisdom got to do with our trial? What's wisdom? No. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. We need wisdom so that we know how to respond to the trials. You know, in the story we mentioned before, it just, it just like three verses later when, when Saul threw the spear at David, three verses later it says, it says this, that David behaved wisely in all his ways. David made some wise decisions. There was wisdom at that moment. He didn't turn around and try to defend himself or he didn't turn around and, and make a big thing. No, he just, he, he used wisdom in this moment. We need wisdom. Wisdom is an important asset for us to be able to deal with the storms that will come into our lives. We need wisdom. But not just any wisdom, not human wisdom. We need godly wisdom. Let me give you an example of human wisdom. Einstein, who thought he was smart? Anybody? Albert Einstein? Okay. Uh, He said this in uh, 1932. He said, he was quoted saying this, there is not the slightest indication that nuclear energy will ever be obtainable. Einstein said that. We see that it has been attained. And now there's fights on how it is controlled. Roosevelt, people say he was a very smart president, right? He once said that planes would never be useful in the battle, in a battle against a fleet of ships. Obviously, he said this before the attack on Pearl Harbor. And many of you know the attack on Pearl Harbor was a a huge fleet of planes that completely bombed our fleets and 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 our ships in Pearl Harbor. In 1899, there was a, the, the U.S. commissioner of Pat, the Patson's office. You know, people make inventions and stuff. He was quoted on saying that uh, everything that can be invented has been invented. He said that in 1899. <laughs> he obviously didn't see the iPhone coming, right? <laughs> really smart people can say the dumbest things. They can, Right? Because human wisdom is limited. But God wants us to have his wisdom. If you read Proverbs 1 through 9, you'll find a list of qualities that are associated to wisdom. Instruction, understanding, discretion, learning, knowledge, discernment, and and there's so so many more. All these great qualities, and, and we need them to get through life's storms. How do we get them? How do we how do we figure this out? We need faith. Verses 6 and 8 says, But let him ask in faith with, not, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a, a, a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James says to get the wisdom of God, all we need to do is ask him for it. Hmm, that's simple. Um, well, how can, I, how can I know what God wants of me? How can I get wisdom from above? And he says, ask him. Not only ask him, he says when you ask him, he gives liberally. That means he gives a lot. Like he's going to give you the wisdom. But he says, but he says we need to ask in faith. Remember what Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty three. 23. It says, I tell you the truth. I can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it, believe it will happen, and have no doubt in your heart. Faith is essential if we expect to receive anything from God. Jesus says that the conditions for receiving anything in prayer from him is that we first must believe. We must first believe. James then says, no doubting, that a doubting person is double-minded. Let's think about this for a moment. 
And I'm going to get into, like, I guess, I'm going to break down the human being. The human being has three parts, right? And 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it confirms this. You have spirit, soul, and body. That's what makes up a human being. Then if you take the body, break the body down into five senses, and the body has taste. The senses are taste, touch, sight, hearing, and smell. If you take the human, the human spirit, it has three parts, which are built up of conscience, intuition, and communion. So we go down to the soul, and the soul has three parts. The mind, the will, and emotions. So if he says a person that doubts is double-minded, is he saying that the person that doubts has two souls because the mind is made up is within the soul? You know, he's not implying that a person literally has two souls. What he's saying is it's just like if a person had two souls. And let me explain this. One mind is thinking thoughts, a set of thoughts. Yet you have another mind thinking the complete opposite. You have one set of emotions that are feeling one way. And then it's like you have a whole other set of emotions that are feeling the complete opposite way. You have one will that's making a choice to say, I want to believe and I make a choice to believe in God. But then you have another will that is choosing not to believe. It's no wonder that he says that a person like this is unstable in all his ways. How many of us are guilty of doubting? I'll raise my hand. When we doubt, when we doubt, that's like, that's like this. Half of you says yes, the other says no. You want to go one way, there's a part of you that wants to go another way. We can't live a stable life that way. And so what his scripture says is, that, is to, to have faith that God will give you the wisdom to not doubt in the wisdom that he gives you, to not doubt in what he's doing in your life, to not doubt that he's with you through the storms, to not doubt. Because if you do, you're unstable. There are some of us that in our Christian walk, we find ourselves unstable. In our Christian walk, we're like, one day we could be on fire for God. One Sunday we're here, we're like, woo, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. We do the little dance and everything, right? And then the next Sunday we come and we're like, hallelujah, praise God. What happened? Did the God that you serve change from last Sunday to this Sunday? Did, 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 some, you know, did, did, did he change his mind about who he was, who he is, who he will continue to be? Because that's not possible. Because remember, we know that he is, you know, I, I am. So what happens is we create this unstableness that when others watch you, they say, why do I want to serve God when this person who is a Christian, because, you know, you preach on Facebook, you know, you preach on Instagram, but then on that same page that you preach, you're like pathetic. I'm sorry. See, that's why my wife has to be here. See, those words would not slip out if she was right there. We got to find a way to edit that out. <laughs> so, so the thing is, is, so what happens is like you go online and you're preaching and you're so on fire for God. And then you can just scroll down just a couple posts. And it's like, all of a sudden it's like, oh, always me. My life sucks. My life's a mess. And then a couple more posts. Woo! My life is on fire. God is so good. I got everything I need. Ain't no going back. And it's like a spiritual Tourette's on someone's page. 
And, and, then, and then if you're, if you're reading and following and, and you want to serve God and you want, and you want to surrender your life and you're at, that, like, you're at that point like you're almost there like, you know, people have told you about it, you've heard about it, you've seen a couple lives changed here and there, but then, but then like you, you keep seeing it and you're like, I don't know. I mean, is this what I'm getting myself into? Because I, I thought what they were telling me that once I, once I surrender my life to God, that I can just be covered by his mercy, be covered by his grace, be covered by his protection, and that although I go through storms, I can always rejoice. But this is not what I'm seeing. And it's damaging. Not only your testimony is damaging the testimony of the faith. That's why I, I don't know. I know some people don't like this, but I was like, yo, just, just choose. Just pick. Just pick. You're going to trust God or not? And if you're not, then just stop talking about God, please. If you're going to trust him, trust him. Don't slander his sovereignty. Don't slander his, 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 his power and, and his greatness by living this double-minded life. And that's not to take away that we go, we don't, we don't, that we're going to go through things. We are. And there's going to be mornings you get up and you're going to be like, you're going to feel defeated. There's going to be nights that you're depressed. There's going to be days that you're just emotionally drained. And you know what? That's okay. That's a part of being human. We go through that. And as you're going through that moment of, 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 of just complete defeat, as you take a moment for yourself, in those moments you say, God, I am defeated. God, I feel torn down. And I know, I know I have victory in you. I do. I know that because your word says it, but I don't feel that way right now. Did you know you could be honest with God? Do you know that you could be honest with him? I know your word says that I have victory in you, but I just don't feel that way right now, God. And there are some of us right now that just don't feel that way. We don't feel that way because we measure our victory <laughs> in response to seeing our prayers answered our way, right? We pray for our loved one, and we say, I'll see victory when he comes to Christ, when she comes to Christ. There's victory already. There's victory. Just start, I, I, I would say start celebrating now for your loved ones that will come to Christ. Start celebrating now for your children to return the prodigal, to come back home. Start celebrating now for the restoration of your marriages. Start celebrating now for the healing inside your body when doctors say, well, I don't know, there's nothing wrong. You are healed and celebrate it. Start celebrating now. Can you guys stand with me this morning? God wants us to have his wisdom. His wisdom. And the way to get it is through single-minded faith. Without wisdom, how do we know how to respond in the trials, in the storm? Without faith. How will we ever be able to respond to the storm with rejoicing? We all go through storms in life. We're all going to go through storms in life. Some of us are going through it right now. We're going through it right now. Some of those storms happen to fall into your lap, into your life. And today you're being told to rejoice through it. And you're like, I, don't, I just don't know how to rejoice through this. And that's okay. 
We're going to learn and we're going to grow together. But if you're going through a storm that just happened to fall in your life right now, you just happened to fall into, when we open the altar for prayer, I want you to know that I want you to come down because we're going to pray that God give, that increase your faith so that you can rejoice in these moments. Because you know what? It's not, it's not a crime to have moments of little faith. It happens to us. Our faith, there are moments in our, in our lives that our faith is increased and there are moments that we're going through and because we're human, sometimes our faith is not as strong. I'd be lying to you that someone is on 100% faith all the time, 24-7. Then that person wouldn't be human. That person wouldn't have emotions. That person wouldn't have any feelings. If you can just be at 100% every day, all day. But there are some of us here today that we've walked, in some, we, we've walked into some storms. That the storms that we are in right now are the results of our own actions. The results of our own choices. We've made some bad choices in life. We all have. And sometimes those storms linger. Sometimes it could be years and you're still in a storm of something that you decided to do years ago. And you just say you can't seem to get out of it. Many times we don't like to admit that we're the reason that we're in the storms that we're in. Sometimes we just don't want to come clean and say, oh, you know what, it was my fault. But today... You have an opportunity, not to, not to tell anybody else, but to go before God and repent and allow God <laughs> to take you through the storm the rest of the way. Today can be the day that we leave here empowered. Today can be the day that we leave here with a wisdom from God. Today can be the day that we leave here with faith stronger than what we came in. But all those things first have to be decided by you. Do you want the wisdom of God? Do you want your faith increased? Do you want to be able to rejoice when things are going bad? Some of us are like, well, I don't really know if I want to rejoice. How many of us can say today, I need you, Lord, Give me wisdom, your wisdom. Increase my faith. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Dennis, Dennis, can you, can you join us? Hallelujah. Caesar, can you come up? We want to pray this morning. This is something that we all can relate to. This is something that if you're not going through it right now, you will go through it. You will. The storms in our life come in all sorts of fashions. Sometimes they come with financial burdens. Sometimes they come in emotional scarring and hurt and pain, family situations, health situations. Sometimes we've gotten ourselves mixed up with some people that we really shouldn't, and it just seems like we can't detach ourselves from it. God wants to say today, I want to give you my wisdom so that you can make the right decisions through the storms that you're going through. I want to increase your faith so when the things happen in your life, you can still rejoice. I want to open the altar, and we want to pray with you. Please don't let this opportunity lead. Don't let this opportunity pass by. Father God, right now, as we open the altar and we invite those that are sitting here today, standing here today, to come forward, Lord, to take a step of faith, knowing that you can increase their faith. To take a step of faith, 
saying that although they are going through the storms right now, they're going to trust you through their storms. To take a step of faith to say they need to have your wisdom. Father God, look at what we're going through right now today. As a church family, Lord, there are so many things that are going on within our family. Homes, Lord, that the devil is trying to destroy. There are souls, Father God, that, that, that the devil wants to, 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 to steal. Father, have your way today. Do not let this moment pass. We want to pray with you. We want you to know that you are not alone in your storm. I must have said that so many times this week. These past, this last Thursday and Friday when we during the funeral, I must have said that so many. You guys are not alone. You are not alone. There is a church family here that loves you. There's a church family here that wants to pray with you. There's a church family here that wants to encourage you, that wants to motivate you. Take a step of faith. Take a step forward. Surrender everything to the Lord. Surrender your worries. Surrender your storms. Surrender it all. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing today. I thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice in the storms that fall into our lives. But I also thank you, Lord, that even the ones that we walk ourselves into, you can deliver us from once we repent and give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.